0: Welcome to another episode of Insider Investing. When a crisis like COVID strikes, you begin to think about what life is really about. No wonder that ESG investing has grown over the last year. And what's really exciting is that India is at the forefront of this. Indian companies have led with zero targets. In fact, we are the only G20 country on track
1: to meet the goal set up by the Paris Agreement. I didn't know that, Sile. actually. In fact, uh, for me, what is more exciting is that now investors are taking leaps towards accelerating the ESG journey like some of the world's largest investors have asked their portfolio companies to meet ESG targets and in a way therefore capital is beginning to set up the ESG goals for their portfolio companies so we thought why not listen from someone who's led from the front on this and by the way he's someone we know very well for a very long period of time as well. Srivar
0: Kheruka is the managing director at Borosil Limited as a fourth generation leader he has transformed the culture at Borusu, something we talk about further. Shrivar has earned a dual degree from UPenn and Wharton School. He was chosen as a young global leader by the World Economic Forum and 40 Under 40 by the Economic Times. Welcome to the show, Shrivar. Hi, Shrivar. Nice to get connected and super to have you with us today. Uh, Let's kick off the discussion a bit about you know, our journeys and uh, get talking as to how we built our businesses over the years as well. So, you know, something very interesting and which really changed the way I look at things is when uh, I finished my MBA from uh, the UK, and I stayed around there for about two years working with the Inland Revenue Tax Department. Uh, When I came back to India, I found it extremely difficult to fit back in. And that's, you know, I had a family business as well in India. And uh, coming back to that business and Uh, you know, kind of fitting into the overall culture of an old school business per se uh, was challenging enough for me. Uh, But at the same time, adapting what I had learned uh, during my MBA uh, became even more challenging because the ways and means that businesses were run way back in the day were extremely uh, different, right? And family businesses especially were built very differently from the ground up. So wanted to understand from you because you finished your education as well at Voughton. Uh, Thereafter, you worked with Deloitte, I think. Uh, so how was that experience? And was it always a plan to come back to the family business? Or did it just happen by chance?
2: Yeah, so uh, as far as the plan, yes, it was basically the plan always to come back uh, to the family business. And uh, the idea was to work, to get some experience, uh, to understand how, you know, the other the rest of the world works uh, and apply those learnings back in, in India. I mean, I had planned to actually work for a little bit more time, but I think my father got a bit frustrated. Uh, you know, he had lots of things on his plate and he wanted some help. So he called me about a year and a half into my work at Monitor. Now it's Deloitte, but at that time it was right. Monitor. And uh, he said, I think it's time for you to come back. Uh, to be frank, I wasn't really happy to come back so quick. I was really having enjoying my work as well as other parts of my life in in, in Boston, and uh, but obviously once you know he called I I didn't have much of an option so I kind of came back. Um, having said that, yes, the first two three years were very challenging. Uh, you, I mean, one was what was happening. You know, we the company itself was undergoing uh, lots of pain. But even like you rightly mentioned, the culture, the way of working was completely different than what. Uh, We had been exposed to uh, in in Boston as well as, you know, how things worked in in the U.S. And it was very frustrating. Uh, The the thing that was positive was it was known that it would be challenging. And in fact, one of the reasons that I had discussed with my father uh, and my grandfather at that time was that uh, getting some experience from outside would help us bring new culture into the organization. And uh, therefore, there was an openness to changing the approach. Um, And and this was, I would say, much to the credit of my family that they allowed me to have some differences. I'll give you small examples. Uh, You know, starting work at 9 in the morning versus, uh, you know, in our business, we typically end up starting at 10.30. So first thing, first, you know, get to work, start your day. Uh, Simple things like having, uh, you know, uh, noting whatever we were talking about every meeting, making sure we start the next meeting with the, uh, you know, notes uh, of the previous meeting. Now, this is like in the year 2021, this sounds really basic, okay? But uh, this was not really the way of working back then. It was more, you know, you you kind of show up and you do what needs to be done for that day. But the planning of the day itself was not, you know, done in in my way, in in, in my opinion, in the way that it should have been done. So having a process, having a structure, involving, uh, you know, many other people in decision making, you know, so uh, the, uh, you know, challenging your preconceived notions, uh, you know, there, there's all those things were different back then. And to change that did take some time and involved a lot of frustration. But I would say that the openness from the other members okay. of the family was uh, there. And they also knew that we could do things in a better way. So
1: uh. This is is very interesting, right? There's this British uh, series called Yes Minister, right? You may have seen it. And where the minister has all these fantastic ideas and, you know, he wants to uh, do really great stuff. And the bureaucrat would always say, yes, minister. And then it's up to the bureaucracy to actually implement that. And then they would decide what they actually want to do. And when I talk to a lot of like, uh, you know, second generation entrepreneurs, this is one thing that you hear consistently, like how they dealt with people who were in the organization before uh, they got there. And some of these people were in the organization before you were born possibly, uh, especially in, you know, uh, uh, multi-generational family businesses. So how, how, how do you deal with that? Like, and you know, this is a challenge even for like us as leaders that how do you, uh, manage uh, when the when the when the employee is not aligned with your vision or thought process because at the end of the day that person has to commit to it and deliver along that uh, lines so how was that experience
0: and and i have a question in that as well sorry that in india typically the age-old businesses feedback that uh, was never a process from the employee to the promoter right did you see that happen and uh, you know did that change because we are still struggling with that even in our business today right where, you know, feedback is uh, maybe 50% of what it should be, but how do you work towards that? And any possible skills that you've built over the years to help with that, uh, which can help everyone?
2: Okay, so, uh, yeah, I think I can, you know, address what I did on both uh, those counts. As far as uh, why, you know, the real question to ask, why would somebody not want to work with a second or third or fourth in my case it's certainly not second it's more like fourth or fifth in the glass business okay of course the family goes back even many more generations before that but in the glass business itself i'm the fourth generation uh, entrepreneur um in in and i think the answer is they feel threatened or they feel that some new kid is going to come and we have like 40 years of experience and this new kid is going to start directing us uh, you know and telling us what to do so um, i think the the it's a it's a it's a communication game. Uh, Leadership is all about communication and it's an interest alignment game, okay? How do you align the interests of the organization to the interests of the shareholders or the the promoters, right? And if you are transparent in the communication and you align interests and incentives in a way that, uh, which is fair to all involved, then I think people will, you know, toe the line. Uh, In my own case, what practically happened uh, was a bit different, though. Uh, obviously, I didn't know whatever I'm saying now is after many years of experience. Back then, I didn't understand interest alignment. I didn't understand any of this. What I just mentioned back then, it was just fortuitous. Fortuitous that uh, many of the we were ha- we had lots of challenges when we well, when I joined the business and the business was going down the rabbit hole. And uh, uh, many of the senior guys actually left. <laughs> so, uh, so yes. in a sense, it was it was a natural. I would say you know just changing of the guard which happened coincidentally of the senior guys alongside when i joined okay so many of the new people who s- still continue to be in the organization are from actually people i recruited in some way shape or form or who had joined just a year or two before i had uh, joined right. so yeah. so it in that sense i got a bit lucky and uh, we had a high degree of uh, alignment but i do think i do think it's possible for a fourth or a fifth or a, you know end generation entrepreneur to come in as a young person and still get the older guys or the older people let's say to work in conjunction, but the change has to be made by the the person coming in, not by the people who are already in the system. They, they have to, So that is my thought on this front. Um, the to to answer your uh, other you know let's say question, I uh, I mean it's it's a it's uh, it's a bit challenging frankly but uh, I, I i believe what i did well uh, back then was to over communicate okay and that has been the real uh, let's say go to strategy for me is to be transparent in whatever we are trying to do seek a lot of input okay and own up to my own mistakes and there are many of them okay uh, and own up an open forum so the whole promoter versus employee thing uh, ceases to exist when everybody's open to failure you don't screw somebody for failing yeah and you allow people to make mistakes you are open with your own mistakes and then people automatically uh, they feel comfortable and therefore they also give a lot of feedback and I never, I never, even when people give me feedback, which I think was unwarranted, I, I never ever uh, kind of, you know, even communicated to them in any fashion that they were saying something wrong, even if they were saying something wrong. So right. it was yeah. very, very open, and people never got uh, negatively impacted by any feedback they gave me. And I think that's today people tell me I'm, you know, the people all even now many of the junior guys question what we are doing and even question their own bosses so it's not just with me it's with all at all levels people should be comfortable questioning the the status quo and also questioning why we're doing what we're doing so
1: no, this is this is interesting uh, you know shiva i'm just at at this point and uh, i'm bugging sahil and webb also to do that uh, which is to read this book by reed hastings uh, on the on no rules rules uh, which is the netflix culture and one of the most interesting, like he's he's actually prescribed a three-step framework. He oh. says that first, you have to get the highest talent density in the organization, like get the best people. If required, pay above, like you know, top dollar uh, for that talent. Secondly, he talks about the fact that you know increase candor and feedback, like and that especially in an Indian culture is is very unusual, like. Uh, neither as leaders are we used to hearing feedback or even giving feedback I think it's it's like something that you'll do once in a year at the end of the appraisal cycle etc and the third thing he says is once you've achieved one and two then you give them authority then you don't uh you know interfere on day-to-day uh decisions but I think this feedback point is very uh it's like easier said than done right because Uh, in the brain there is this amygdala which reacts to feedback almost the way you react when you are stressed out or when you are attacked so how how was that like experience like i know you started from the top you led from the front and uh, took feedback and gave feedback but did it like percolate down the organization too
2: yeah look uh, i think uh, the i didn't know anything when i joined okay i had zero idea about class and zero idea about anything uh, how to run a business so uh, the the you know there's one default is when you don't know anything you pretend you know everything and therefore you kind of ins- and everybody but the the thing is the emperor has no clothes everybody knows that okay so they don't give you the feedback the other point is to say okay I really don't know it. let's 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 uh, let's jointly co-create you know what what we need to do and given the the stress in the organization at that time people were looking for answers and they knew that they needed to find answers right so it wasn't. It, it, there was no ego involved it's like if you don't get this if you don't sort this out the company will shut down you know that that's really the uh, sh- there was a lot of stress in the system and that allowed us to do new things in a or do things in a different way than we had done um, in 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 the past taking feedback is something that has always come naturally to me i grew up in a family with uh, three older sisters so whether i liked it or not they give me feedback <laughs> all the damn time <laughs> so uh, Anything I did wrong, even stepped out of line for one second, I was, you know, kind of slapped in place. Uh, so uh, so that taking feedback has been a, a part of my life since I was probably, you know, one day old. Um, so it comes naturally to me. And maybe if I'm looking back, uh, it, that was a blessing in disguise. Uh, I think, uh, and, and this is again, more psychology that single children find it harder to take feedback because they never got so much feedback, right? So I'm one of uh, four Uh, you know and and the youngest and and therefore the uh, the the feedback point was just building to me from day one and I, I think that 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 loss of ego and that ability to accept that you are not always right that you are wrong many times and also the ability to give other people the leeway that they also may not be right and they may be wrong is something that I think has percolated down in the organization and people watch you know the the culture and I, of course, there are times when you get irritated, there are times, I'm not saying we do it all the time, every time we do it well, but I would say we get it right more often than not.
1: Yeah. Yeah,
0: absolutely. So just to put some context, when you uh, join the family business, uh, what size was uh, the entire business in terms of Borosil and what is it today? So just to, you know, give uh, some context to that.
2: I, I think in terms of revenue, uh, we were about 100 crores, 110 crores or uh, Today, we are 1,100 crores last year in revenues. Uh, in terms of profitability, uh, I think last year we did an EBITDA of 300 plus crores. And uh, when, when I joined, uh, I, I, I can't remember exactly, but it was very, it was marginal. The the, uh, the profitability was very low. Uh, but frankly, that's not all to me. I mean, the, the, there were also other uh, situations sure. at that time which were hurting the, the company. But uh, yeah, we've had a, about a 10x growth in 15 years. Which is wow. not, which is not unbelievable. It's good, but it's not like it's. it's, it's re- I think the no, real so, growth, the real growth, will come now. Like in the next three years, I think we'll triple from here, from where we are. So, so. wow,
0: no, that's great. And you know, uh, Borosil has always been a household name for a lot of families, right? Especially in India. Uh, and I think so. You guys have scaled multiple lines as well, right? So besides just uh, glass and stuff, what else have you all done over the last couple of years?
2: Yeah, so we have uh, Borosil has two separate businesses: Borosil Limited, which has the consumer and the scientific business, and Borosil Renewables, which has the solar, uh, solar glass business. As far as the consumer business under Borosil Limited is concerned, we had only glass in the past, and uh, we now have uh, home appliances. We have tableware, which includes plates and cups and saucers. That's under the brand called Lara, and we have steelware which is steel uh, bottles as well as steel cookware which are completely new ranges which were not there in the in the past on the scientific product side in addition to our consumer uh, sorry scientific glassware now we have pharmaceutical packaging including packaging for covid you know vaccine uh, so the glass used for filling the the vaccinations as well as lab instruments uh, so instrumentation for automation in, in labs so the, so these are all, on both consumer and scientific, there are many new product categories which have come up. And, uh, you know, those have mostly been success stories. There have been a couple of failures, which we left. For example, we got into plastic storage for, for a period of time and we got out because we didn't want to be in plastics. It didn't it didn't suit our brand.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, we, we got into melamine uh, silverware, which also didn't suit our brand, so we exited. So we've had a couple of, you know, failed
0: what about auto?
2: Auto, sorry? Oh,
0: uh, auto so, glass? So, no, no,
2: we are yeah, not. No. Automotive glass, we we are okay. not. We've never been there. We've never been there.
1: Sahil, Sahil is referring to his own passion about cars. He's wondering why you're not there. In but, fact, uh, in our uh,
0: office, we have a lot of Borosil stuff. So, yeah. thank you for that. And I'm glad you're right. Enjoying that, yeah. Good.
1: So, uh, uh, you know, you, you came up with these COVID uh, uh, glass bottles uh, for the vaccine, uh, etc. But I think, you know, during the entire COVID uh, time... There was this one story that uh, came out of Borosil which sort of stayed with me. And I think a lot of organizations were doing phenomenal work for their employees in dealing with COVID. What uh, you folks did in terms of for somebody who's passed away because of COVID was actually very uh, interesting. And I I remember discussing this with Vaibhav at that point of time and how we could structure this in a way that's efficient for the person who's getting that capital uh, Etc. So, how did the idea come up, and like, how was the implementation done, shivar Because in India, with the multiple levels of tax structures, it's very hard to execute that. At the end of the day,
2: okay. So, idea came because there was a lot of stress in the system. You know, I mean, uh, when we were talking, I think this was April, uh, mid-April, when the second wave hit us hard. Uh, mm-hmm. Whenever I was talking, I speak to my guys very often, and. You know, you could see the underlying stress in the uh, in the in the voices of the people, and uh, you know there was a there was a real feeling of negativity uh, which was around us as well as the whole country at that time. And uh, I started asking people, "Where is the stress coming from? Is it the fear of death? What's going on?" So most people said to me that it's not the fear of dying, which was uh, or fear of getting COVID. Let's say fear of getting COVID number one. Or, or the fear of dying because by then we already knew that the mortality rates of COVID were not that high okay yeah. it was really the fear of what would happen after in terms of the family uh, to, which was really concerning them so that was the problem statement which I understood and multiple people in my own organization said the same thing the the second thing which was clear to me was that uh, as an organization when the chips are down as a we we should step in and really uh, change the narrative the narrative was all negative we need to change the narrative and we need to lo- have something positive that you know people can hold on to uh, to get out of this and uh, then i spoke to a couple of people you know amongst friends that what are you guys doing about covid and you mentioned like you mentioned that everybody was doing great work but more for hospitalization and getting people access to medication and oxygen and whatnot nobody was thinking Ki, okay after all of that also if something goes wrong what, what do you do so then i just uh, amongst my you know steering committee i opened this topic that you know what what should we do so people started opening up yeah that you know there's a fear people you know what happens to the kids education uh, what happens to the spouse because many in many cases the spouses are not in the workforce they are homemakers uh, how you know how do they manage their home uh, for for a period of time so uh, then it was thought that okay we should you know pay a couple of years of salary uh, and we should you know uh, pay for education through through uh, through the lifetime of through the education requirements of the kids. in terms of structuring, frankly, I didn't think it through uh, when we announced the policy uh, because it was we needed to we couldn't get into the second and third degree you know bureaucracy of this. We said it happen. income tax we'll figure it out. But let us at least reassure our guys. Um, mm. uh, so frankly, we didn't think of structuring at that particular point of time. I mean, we knew that there would be a challenge, but we said we'd, we'd solve for it, you know, uh, uh, you know, if and when the challenge arose. Um, and, and we went ahead and announced it. And frankly, we never expected it to be such a big deal. But uh, we t- did a town hall meeting and we announced this. And like within seconds of announcing it, I started getting you know, messages on my WhatsApp from my own employees that, wow, this is amazing. We didn't expect this. And there was multiple. And then somebody, one of our employees, uh, put it up on LinkedIn. And that was also, like, it wasn't planned. He just put it, he was feeling happy. Because he had COVID at that time. He was was undergoing uh, treatment for COVID. And that you know went viral, which was again unanticipated, frankly.
1: No, absolutely. I think you know in India, I think one of the things, and when we talk to our users, so our users are essentially working professionals, right, and they're very successful, have saved up some amount of money, but the one consistent theme that they that we hear them saving for is their family like uh, and India is a very like family oriented uh, culture right as opposed to an individualistic culture so even even uh, like when we do a a quiz and ask people like what are you saving for so most of the time it's about parents uh, health or uh, kids kids education etc like the typical holidays all of that like your own life comes much uh, lower down the totem pole than some of these other things
2: education is a big deal in India. So that kids education, how to make sure that you protect it, it's a very,
1: very big deal. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. No, and uh, the other thing is that this overall culture that you know, this the impact that this has on the culture of the organization is also very interesting, like even it gives a lot of reassurance to everyone in the system that look, there is somebody standing behind us, not only for COVID, but the broader message that you know that people are there they care for us and probably that's helped uh, retention and you know retaining high quality talent so how's that journey been uh shiva in terms of like talent management because yesterday i heard this very interesting quote from somebody who said that uh there's a talent war in india and talent has won so uh uh so that that was like uh really amazing for me so how are you dealing with that
2: yeah look that's a that's i think the most important part of any business is how do you you know, get the right people, how do you train them, how do you retain them, right? Uh, for us, we, uh, like I said before, uh, the culture is very open and uh, we uh, we obviously have make sure we have to pay our key positions or the positions that may make a difference. I'm not just saying the senior positions, I'm saying any position that makes a big difference to the organization. We must pay them uh, market or higher than market rate uh, salaries, okay? So we benchmark the salaries uh, for, uh, for for those positions in the market. And we make sure that the fixed compensation is, you know, maybe slightly higher than the, the market compensation. Uh, over and above that, there are two other things we do. We have an incentivization plan, which is v- clear and, uh, you know, uh, aligned with the interests of the company, which is quite easy to understand. Frankly, it's uh, at a hundred percent of achievement of the business plan. You, they get a certain incentive and then over and above that there's a profit share for the for for most of the employees which is again easy, cal, easily to be easy to be calculated and by the way all of this data is shared with our employees uh, um, every month we have a pnl review and the key people are involved in that they can ask any questions it's fully transparent nothing to hide um, so people get a above the annual business plan there's a profit share which the company shares uh, with all the employees not just the senior guys but all like all the employees beyond that for the really let's say important positions in the organization there are stock options uh, we have a esop plan which uh, giving we are given we are listed company it has value clear value and people have a you know maybe 3 or 4 year kind of esop uh, window where they get uh, ES- allocated esops and there has been you know fortunate we've been fortunate that our share prices have you know been rising over the past three four years so uh, and that's not just us i guess all the companies in the country have been rising but um, uh, the the people uh, have uh, the people who have the esops have also got you know fairly significant wealth creation uh, which they have already happened and we've recently expanded that esop plan so compensation i'm just giving you some examples of overall comp so compensation is one aspect of talent retention. The other thing is, I would say, which is uh, is is you know empowerment and ability, decision making ability, and decisions are generally made bottom up in the organization. And there's a lot of empowerment to to run with new ideas. Uh, and and there is very little in way of any let's say negative uh, feedback on failures. Okay, unless you know you've done something stupid, which is uh, or, or unethical which of course is not acceptable but uh, it, as long as you've been an honest effort and you didn't succeed it's fine okay so the empowerment and the ability to court uh, to to drive the future of the organization is something that many companies may not be able to offer which we offer okay and uh, so the, that's the second point and third is basically dealing with respect right I mean you don't uh, everybody's voice is is heard and uh, if something is going wrong, we fix it. You know, we don't just sit uh, in an ivory tower. Right? These are basic points. You know, compensation, empowerment, and you know, culture uh, of 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 respect and you know uh, appreciation.
0: Yeah. yeah. So Shreya, uh, you know our third co-founder, who you know very well, Pebhav, uh, he's been helping you with your finances and investing over a long period of time. Uh, you know, as Indians, like you rightly mentioned, we all tend to save a lot of money. Uh, could be for child's education, or it could be for uh, anything else, right? How's been your overall investment journey so far? When did you start? Did you start really early? Did you start a little late as per you? How's that been for you? And, uh, you know, any possible, uh, you know, handy hints you could leave us with, which help people think through their finances much, much better?
2: Yeah, I started too late. I started in 2010, uh, with Vevao, in fact, and uh, that was when I was 28 already. And I think that's too late. I think you should start really speaking uh, the moment you have a bank account. Okay, <laughs> <Or> at, least, <laughs> at least your parents should start for you. And at least when you, uh, at 18, is really the last time where you should, you should start investing. Whether it's 10 rupees, 100 rupees, 1,000 rupees, a lakh of rupees, doesn't matter. But you need to start investing, okay? And I, I believe that very strongly. And it's for all people, men, women, you know, uh, at, at every level, yeah. you need to you, I think people need to take control of their own finances. Uh, I think, uh, Baibhav, uh, uh, you know, we started working with him in his earlier organization. And, uh, I think, uh, he's the only guy I think we've stuck with for the last, uh, 10, 11 odd years. And I think there are multiple learnings that I've had uh, from him, uh, which have helped like keep, for example, keep things simple, you know, don't complicate, you don't need to uh, complicate your investing investment journey. I, I think, uh, uh, it, it's clear that the maximum wealth creation can come from your job or from your company and investments are supposed to, you know, grow at a reasonable pace, but, uh, end of day, the real wealth will may or may not come or rather may not come from investments. The real wealth will come from what you're doing on a day job. Don't look at your portfolio every day, you know, uh, totally. have a longer term view. Don't get carried away by euphoria. These are things which I think, uh, I think I've learned from Weber, and uh, I think that's the reason why, uh, you know, we we are st- talking here today. But uh, the, the I think the whole thing was to keep it simple, start early and keep things simple and be long-term.
1: But uh, was there like always a, a family thought process around investing or was it uh, new to the family overall?
2: It was new to the family. Frankly, there was not much thought process and that, that, that was something that, probably uh, we changed in 2010 and that's helped us a lot, uh, right? Because having a structured approach, uh, even if you're keeping things simple, uh, but have a structured approach to keeping it simple then, you know. So uh, there, it was kind of all random, all over the place in the past. Uh, and since since that period, I think we've done fairly well in, you know, making it easy to understand.
1: You know, Sahil, I think one of the things which, uh, you know, Bo- Borosil stands out for initially as an industrial family but uh, or industrial business and now is a very different thing around this whole sustainability uh ESG yeah. and i think they were in the in the thick of ESG even before it became a very exciting hot buzzword so
0: uh, what got you started on that Shiva so uh, you know was it a push or did it just happen as a natural transition
2: i i think the credit goes to my grandfather uh, and then okay. to my father on this subject because they uh, you know, uh, we, as a family, were always conscious about the environment. And my grandfather is a botanist, okay? he oh, that's, his, that's his passion. Uh, he loves uh, plants and uh, you, you you can show him any flower or any plant and he knows the uh, the Latin name for that plant, uh, the tree or the flower. Uh, he He's very passionate about botany. And therefore, that uh, culture of investment or in investment in the environment came right from that period of time the many many decades ago uh, my grandmother herself grew up in in rajasthan with very little access to water and uh, you know everything was a struggle life was a struggle back then so yeah. the appreciation of having uh, to just open a tap and get water out of that tap is something that even after all these years not lost on her right. um, and that they were able to pass that on to my father and mother so the mm-hmm. whole a- approach towards uh, you know, what they call a circular economy of trying to make sure that we give back, uh, we don't pollute, uh, you know, these were things which were present for decades now. Uh, So when we started our plants, rainwater harvesting, which has now become the norm, we were doing rainwater harvesting decades ago, you know, we were uh, trying to recycle as much of our waste, you know, decades ago. We are, uh, you know, obviously making glass, uh, you know, you, you, you need to use some fossil fuel, so we have natural gas. Uh, We moved to natural gas decades ago, uh, you know, maybe 30 years ago, which was not the norm. People used to use coal. So many things we did uh, decades ago, which were not the norm back then to do, but it was more from a family culture and approach uh, point of view. So it came very naturally to us, the respect for the environment. Uh, And like I said, uh, that that was coming mostly from my grandparents, right from my grandparents.
1: But sometimes it's anti-profitability also, right, uh, Shivar? I mean, the most efficient uh, uh, model or the most efficient production line may not be the most, uh, the cleanest. Uh, And as a listed company responsible to shareholders, you're dealing with that also. So how how do you like uh, reconcile these two very opposing things?
2: You know, uh, in in fact, we found quite the opposite. Uh, We found, uh, Sandeep, that the... Uh, while there may be higher capex uh, for the uh, you know for, for setting up the infrastructure the yeah. return on that capex was also very high uh, for example natural gas has uh, been you know uh, not only great for combustion and for in- environment uh, you know the reducing the uh, sox and nox that's uh, sulfur and the uh, nitrous yeah. oxides in the atmosphere but it's also uh, required now to sell to France, for example, okay. So if you want to sell to larger European conglomerates, they have a very stringent policy on what, uh, on how you're polluting the environment. So and when you sell there, you get a higher price point for it. So yes, initially the capex may be higher, but the return on that capex will also be much higher. Your brand value does go up; people appreciate that, and uh, it's a longer-term play. Yes, you're right. In the if if, if you want return within 12 months, it's not going to happen. But if you take, and it's a lot like investing, what we spoke earlier. If you are in it for the long term, then that upfront capex makes sense. And it gives you higher return on capital than if you had saved that capex, okay? So, it's a question of your horizon. Are you a fly-by-night kind of player? Are you someone who who is in it for decades and generations? So, that's...
0: In fact, Sandeep, uh, this has become a prerequisite if you're doing a lot of exports, right? Today, globally it's become a prerequisite that you have to have these bare minimum criteria in order to qualify for those orders.
1: Yeah, And
0: yeah. like uh, Shiva rightly mentioned, your price point automatically changes if you have pre-qualified for that. And then you get very sticky business over a long period of time. So exactly. yeah, I mean, I think if you're early over there and if you can start building on that, uh, it
1: will help expand businesses in a big, big way.
0: Absolutely. Just when you're supplying to these MNCs. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Very interesting. In fact, you know, I feel like uh, there is a purpose around uh, ESG. And for the first time now, there is capital backing it because with the next generation of millennials, they're talking about investing in ESG oriented businesses. And I think when capital meets purpose, something magical can really happen. And maybe Sahil, the takeaway for us is we should think at deserve of something around this, yeah. where we facilitate this, uh, this ESG investing yeah. Yeah. And, and allow users to, uh, target their portfolio specifically to this kind of an asset class.
0: No, we should do that. In fact, globally now you have users who are only going to ESG investment platforms yeah, and they have curated opportunities there for people to invest. So I think, yeah, I mean, it's a way at least the, Younger population is looking at it and we need to kind of build more options for them over there.
1: But Shiva, do you see that across industry? I mean, you're active in various industry forums and so on. Do you see Indian industry also taking this up?
2: Absolutely. I mean, and in the last 12 months, it's exploded. Okay. Uh, it, it's become a buzzword, which is not a bad thing i mean uh, because it actually will help the environment and you do see corporates now this year's annual reports i've seen many corporates have a entire esg theme on them and what they are doing and once you know corporates get behind it and they have a theme then they're going to deliver maybe take one year more or two years more but they will deliver on this and uh, i do see in the long term this will have a higher return on capital so it's not either environment or profit; it's both yeah. environment and profit. Okay, and that's what's really going to happen with the use of recyclable materials, with uh, better combustion technologies, you know, for 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 natural gas or for fuels, uh, better packaging materials. Uh, you know, that there are many ways to really reduce our impact on on what's on the environment. And by the way, we have no choice.
1: If you don't
2: the planet dies. It's as simple as
1: that. It's our home. And on that positive note, uh, Shivar, thank you so much for doing this for us. Uh, We've had a brilliant, fantastic conversation. I I think a lot of learnings for us. Start early being one, of course. Uh, But your whole messaging around culture, around sustainability is something that, you know, lots for us to think over. So thank you so much for doing this. Thanks. Thanks, Lord,
0: Shivar. It's been great interacting with you. Thank you, guys. Really appreciate this.
1: Thanks. We hope you enjoyed tuning in today and got some great takeaways. New episodes of this podcast are out every alternate Thursday. You can listen to the episode on our website or wherever else you listen to your podcasts. If you wish to reach out to us, follow Deserve on LinkedIn, or you can write to us at social@deserve.in.